Welcome to the Healing Home Podcast with me, your host, Wilma May Basta. On this week's episode, which is also the last in our first series, I'm speaking to author, healing coach, and Hoffman Process Facilitator, Regina Louise. I'm constantly in a state of marvel with each person I've interviewed for this podcast, and Regina is no different. Describing Regina is no easy feat, but what I do know is that she is a force of nature with a diamond heart and a searing intellect whose mission is to help others to heal, which is about as close as I can get to a snapshot of who she is. But of course, she's so much more. So have a listen and see what gems you can claim for yourself in our chat. Regina, welcome to The Healing Home. It's so nice to see you again. Oh, Wilma May, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you. This is our second time doing this because I was a little bit of a novice the first time and I messed up the recording. I was gutted because we had just jumped into so much amazing stuff the last time we spoke. But I'm confident in that we can actually go even deeper this time and come up with some real great nuggets of information and knowledge and wisdom. So I thought just probably by way of introduction, I always like my guests to introduce themselves since I kind of do that myself, but I want to hear it from them. So what do you want people to know about you? Mm, What a beautiful question. Let me feel into that. I'm awake. I'm alive. And I most recently am learning to live my life from a state of awareness so that I have some agency over the quality of this one life. That's what I want people to know about me right now. All right, I love that. And yeah, I'm very lucky in that I get to meet some amazing people now in the line of work that I'm now in. And I'm always like just blown away by the hearts and the souls and the knowledge that some of these women that I'm meeting, I feel like there's just like really like a different level, a different depth with the connection I feel to you in the sense that, you know, how we met via Hoffman gives us that shared connection and experience. But I feel like you bring something even more powerful to the mix, which I know that I'm not only learning from, but have more to learn from and connect to, which is really exciting because it just means that not only is you you showing us how to be aware, but I know that as we move forward, you and I, I'm going to start getting other bits of wisdom <laughs> and knowledge and insight and a depth of relationship that I don't think I've known. And I'm so excited by that if that makes sense to you. (laughs) Well, it makes perfect sense. And it's quite apropos because I've chosen to heal my life for a long time. And one of the modalities that I am engaged with right now, the facilitator said, I said to her, "I, I no longer can continue to allow 
this certain part of me. I, I love internal family systems and all the different selves that that inhabit us. And I said, I I am now I'm done with allowing the little saboteur in my life to run things. And she said, Yeah, it's you're at a place and a time in your life where you are actually seeking peers. So that the more peers I draw into my life, allow into my life, the less likely I will rely upon hackneyed ways of being and less than and less than healthy selves to orchestrate my experience, to navigate. So instead of you know, using, you know, a, a self that is non-trusting or suspicious or, you know, just undermining the magnitude of who I am. I'm moving into a place, May, where I can meet people at this level that I've healed myself up to, as opposed to dropping down into the lesser selves to meet those who can't meet me on my terms. So, as I said, it's quite apropos that you say what you say because it's just the gateway to what I've been manifesting. So let me just, like, like what you just said right there, and I've been giving this a lot of thought recently. I hear when you talk about your healing, Right, and your choice in that. To me, that speaks of us of liberation. You turn up in places, in rooms, in spaces with people who you don't have to see yourself in any diminished way. It's a choice in many ways. That you know how you see yourself in these spaces. And does that sound right? Of course it does. And so I, you, you will learn as we get to know each other. My response to brilliance usually is yes, capital Y-E-S, and. So yes, and what I've learned is just how surreptitious, if you will, my lowest common denominating behaviors show up because of the unconsciousness, because of, I, I split off, right? We all do. We dissociate from our highest sense of self. Otherwise, there would be no need for Hoffman's and, and all the different supportive and intervent, interventionist methods that we engage with in order to heal. So for me, is becoming aware of those implicit ways that that affect me, the, 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 the behaviors, the thoughts, the belief systems that are beneath consciousness. Sometimes mm. what's beneath the surface can be what's driving the action if we're not aware. So what's beautiful in our connection is the degree of awareness that we both meet one another with in the present moment. So then the past doesn't have an opportunity to hijack. <laughs> you know, the situation is just, here we are, present, you know, in a sense of equanimity, 
100% equity and we are peers. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One of the things that you said when you when you just what you just said, I hear a lot of women and we see a lot in the press about people who have imposter syndrome and even seemingly successful people talk about imposter syndrome or how you know they turn up in a room and they're in white spaces as women of color and like how do you navigate that and pretending faking it till you make it all of those things and i know like and, and it sounds like from what you said might be similar to some of the journey that i've had which is like learn how to love yourself and love yourself as who you are that some of those things don't matter anymore like i don't feel like when I'm really just myself and honest and I, and, you know, as people often say, which sounds a little bit cheesy, you're come up as your authentic self. When I do that without, you know, which I, I'm at the fifties. So it's just like, well, like it or lump it, this is who I am. And then that like almost in a sense, imposter syndrome falls away. Cause it, I, I don't have all the expectations of other people that I used to have. I don't, I've cultivated how to love myself over the last, you know, decade. And also I have boundaries, right? So all of those things coupled with the fact that I'm here and I'm a good human being. And so I don't know everything, but I'm here. I'm learning. I want to learn. I'm open to learning. And I deserve to be in this room just as much as the next person. Like I, all of those things kind of fell away. And it just sounded like from what you just said in the beginning, that that's a space that you are in as well. And I think that takes going through some shit to have to get to that place. And also there has to be some part, and again, correct me if you think I'm wrong, but there has to be some part of oneself where you almost get too tired to hang on to that stuff that limits you and blocks you. Like you just get exhausted with carrying it. And I know I did. I got exhausted with carrying the perceived expectations of other people and worrying what they were thinking of me and how they saw me and how I must be perceived because actually it didn't serve me in the long run anyway, right? So I just feel like from what you were saying, you know, it, it, it resonated with me. And just to kind of go back, you know, we met because I had done Hoffman myself and I've spoken about it publicly several times. And I felt that Hoffman was really transformational for me because it was really the first time I'd ever done any any real quote unquote work on myself. And I and it was a life-changing thing for me because I didn't realize like how how I was looking at things that impacted me negatively. And so it was the beginning of a journey. It was not the be-all and end all, but it was the beginning of this journey for me. And when I met you, obviously I knew that you were something really special and unique. And I was intrigued as well. And just when I when I heard more about your story, just going through what you have gone through in your life to get to where you are now is to me just a magnificent journey. And for those that don't know anything about you, I would love it if you could share a little bit about that, just to kind of bring us up to speed with that background. I know you've probably, you've talked about it probably a million times. Love to to hear a little bit about that for people that haven't met you before. Thank you. 
I, my humble beginnings, if you will, include my living in the same unauthorized foster home that my biological mother had been reared in. And my mother was a victim of trafficking. And instead of being sent across the border to another country, she was sent to men across her own family lines. And she had children by relatives, not me, but my sister. And she was a beautiful, beautiful uh, mestizo woman who could not hold the space for her beauty, for her femininity, for her innocence, for her motherlessness. And so not so unlike many people who look like us and, and women in general who don't have a proper, if you will, map to navigate historical traumas that are handed down generationally. She handed that down yeah. to my sister and I, my sister who is now deceased. And as a result of the narrative, the generational fingerprints of trauma and loss and rejection and dejection and abandonment and indignity, I had to pull myself from that. And I want to sort of tie my story back to what you were referencing at the top of this concerning imposter syndrome. And that brought to mind an Anais Nen. And the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. And so as a child, unbeknownst to this poem or this, you know, writer, my spirit knew that the day had come, you know, for me to either wither on the vine, my, my existence would either wither on the vine of my historical, hysterical, narrative of trauma and unconscionable suffering or take the risk and bloom. So I left, I took myself away. I pruned myself, if you will, from the vine of my own discontent intuitively. So, and I also want to go back because I want to privilege something right here. You yeah. said, something about this overused word authenticity. So I'm going to privilege authenticity. And the way that I'm going to do that is to say this. Authenticity to me is the meaning of that poem I just wrote, the meaning of the action that my childhood self took. Authenticity mm. is the courage, is the willingness, the intention 
to leave a less than ideal frontier in search of another being guided by one's own voice. It's the voice. It's the internal knowing, that place where spirit, and as the result, the echo, the reverberation of understanding what it means and what happens when spirit meets bone, that echoing to me is intuition, thus leading to an authentic voice, one that isn't predicated upon what you look on to, none of those social classifications, but that place where, where we know, we know that we know that we know, and then the risk, right, to bloom. Yeah, yeah, the risk to bloom. I love that. I love that poem. And I love Anais Nin, but I must admit I haven't read Anais Nin since I was a teenager. And I have to revisit. That's such a great reminder. And I like, well, it's not even about whether I like. It rings true your explanation of authenticity. And like it's a, it's a, way, it's a way of looking at it. And that makes sense to me when you start to know who you are, when you start to take the risk to bloom, when you start to sit with your feelings and you do that, to me, that's where you do a lot of the real work. And that's the hard work is that sitting with yourself. It's that you're peeling your own layers back, right? No one else can do that for you. And I think that's where you get to that nugget, that root of what truth, what trueness, what authenticity is. And I and think that sounds. And imagine, if you will, Wilma May, you know, what is it, 7.1 billion people on the planet, and each of us have within us that site, that, that geographic place that meets bone and where truth comes from. And that truth can be singularly, you know, that which we claim as our, our authenticity. And, and mm. so when I look at that and I think about that in terms of a common humanity, what are the things that beyond the classifications, race, gender, religion, socioeconomic, beyond all of those classifications, stratifications, what do we actually have? And I think, I suspect it's the idea that we all have access to a truth that connects us to who we are in a singular way as well in a, a human community, humanity way. Yeah. On your journey to healing, or on your healing journey, I should say, because it's a journey, not a destination, right? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> where are you at? Whew. Look at you. <laughs> 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 right, right, right. That's a, that's a beautiful question. And of course, the way my, you have to be careful how you ask me questions, because the way my mind works, it can become very literal. And then I began working with my life, 
smart, internal smart chalkboard and looking at things in 3D and, and really <laughs> going there. Really, really. really <laughs> I'm here for it. Some deep, you know, extrapolation. So I, whew, I am at that juncture, that junction where although I handed off any grievances, any pain, any hurts that weighed me down, moored me in a less than ideal way of being. I'm at that place where I'm allowing the forgiveness of both of my parents is crude, unthoughtful, insensitive way of bringing me into this world and casting me into the abyss, into the unknown, and never looking back. I am. I am resurrecting within me the mother that never was, the mother that never had a chance. I am resurrecting in me the forgotten about sister, the never accounted for aunt, the grandchild that was never claimed, identified. It's like in some ways I'm I'm at a gigantic war spot and all the selves that I've dared to be are just exhausted. Are just some are dead, some are half dead, some are trying to hang on. And I'm there identifying the bodies, picking them up claiming them as my own, bringing them home, and learning what it means to be a site of safety, learning what it means to build the good enough mother who can gather all of her lost children, all of her lost selves, all of them, and Hold the space for the grief, for the joy, for the suffering, for the forgiveness. I am bringing home all those selves that showed up and showed out on behalf of my survival. And healing my body mm. in order. Mm. To, to be strong enough, to be wide enough, to be deep enough, to hold the magnanimity of who I am and what I've experienced unapologetically. So I'm doing deep, deep shamanic work, if you will.
I'm diving to the place of belonging, which for me means to not belong. Hmm. What is that saying? Red flags are not red flags when they take you home. So for me, belonging means to not belong. Hmm. So I'm, I'm learning to flip the scripts on these confused ways in which I was wired in order to learn to belong or to get through this life. Yeah. And no more surviving. I'm done. No yeah. No more. No more. So. Do you know what that looks like? Like what that looks like for you to not have to continually be in survival mode? Because it's, it's almost too easy to say, you're not surviving, you're thriving. But what does that actually mean? Like, what does that mean to you to actually be in, to not be in mode? That's a very big complex. I know. <laughs> I know. Can we, a little tiny bit? Can we touch on it just a little bit? Because I think about those things a lot. I think about them in regards to my life. And when you discover you're in survival mode, because that's one of the steps, right? Is just like, I didn't know I was in survival mode, right? You might've already known because of the, the upbringing, the life that you had your earlier years. I didn't know that I was in survival mode. And so once that had that dawning, then it was like, well, wow, that's a lot of work. How do I, how do I, what do I, how do I think about what that looks like? What does that, what does that mean for you? Thank you. Well, what I've come to understand it as is 99% of my childhood, adolescence, young adulthood experiences were what they were as a result of adultification. I was adultified at eight, six years old. So Common for black women, unfortunately. You know, four out of five of us, you know, suffer from. And so I, I didn't have a child because my adult and my child were enmeshed always until the last, you know, my understanding of it for myself has been in the last decade. And I've spent literally the last decade unentwining my my child from the adult that never had an opportunity to mature, you know, and stay. My adult did the exact same thing the adults in my lives did, which is disappear. So that's the pattern. That's what I know is how to disappear. And in my disappearance, I show up only to be seen for and by other people on their terms. So for me, it's less, it's, it's allowing my adult self to come online, to extract that child that is enmeshed, that has no real idea how to be in the world on her own terms, and to hold the space as the adult, as the good enough mother. Hold the space for frustration, hold the space for confusion, hold the space for loss or all of it, joy, brilliance. And to understand this, and it may seem 
very simple. But it is something that has taken me the better part of 58 years to understand. By virtue of my birthright, I am loved. I need not do anything to prove otherwise. It is the simplest idea, but one of the most deeply challenging truths, awarenesses to occupy 24-7. When we go into fight or flight, when we go into fawning, when we go into deflecting, when we go into caretaking, when we go into diminishing, and we all do it. Yeah. We all do it to stay safe, to be seen, because we were all led in our own ways, down our own journeys of how to diminish the value of who we are in the face of somebody with more power. We have all learned to believe in a power where we are always less than that greater sum of somebody else's more bullying, more dominating self. I am love. That is, that is the state. That's it. It is such a small three words, but such a large idea, concept that I think is really challenging for many people to acknowledge that that is who they are at their core. So, yeah, that's moving. And one of the other things I've been thinking about over the last few days, in my own experience of going on this healing adventure, I like to call it, over the last few is the notion that I used to have that anybody that was going to help me fix myself, whether it was a therapist or a healer, I had to perceive that they had their shit together. That I didn't want anybody who was previously broken, quote unquote broken, or had issues, quote unquote issues themselves to work with me. And I don't know. That was just not, in my opinion, not that was not the correct way of looking at it. And it took me a, a long time to realize that actually that I kind of thought I'd be working with people that just kind of came out of <laughs> or, you know, just had their shit together the whole time and they just kind of got it. And I remember asking my mother, who was a pretty amazing spiritual teacher, I asked her a question once, maybe a few years before she died, and she, I asked her, is there any human on the planet that, that is actually born and experiences no suffering? I remember kind of like looking at me like, what kind of question is that? And then she kind of chuckled and then looked at me and said, no, everyone suffers. And I don't know why I asked her the question. I don't have like a thought process before I asked her that question. It just kind of came into my head and I asked her. It was apropos of nothing. And 
And yet it really stayed with me for many years as I would be introduced to practitioners or healers or therapists that I wanted to work with or that I was considering to work with. I had to go back to that statement that everyone suffers to one degree or another. And so if that's the case, then I needed to work with people that I felt I had to shift that. And I did that. I worked with people that actually understood suffering, really understood it, not just studied it. And that became a very different kind of redirection in my journey and the people that I worked with, that there was this blend of people who came into this world with either a gift or the educating, rather, but also working with people who had suffered trauma, but also learned how to, to create their own healing journey and move through that in a way where they could be at a place to actually help others do similarly. And that was a game changer for me, for me, because just letting go of some of the preconceived notions I had around, you know, the quote unquote professionals that I've worked with, I actually found that working with people that had gone through deep suffering helped me to connect with the bits that I wasn't even aware of that were suffering that I had gone through or trauma that I'd gone through. And it wasn't, and it maybe takes another person that's gone through trauma to recognize or to help you recognize it in yourself. And that, like I said, was a game changer for me. And so, and I think that's part of the reason why I asked you that question, like where you were on your healing journey, because I feel like as we break the, you know, we all know now that, that trauma is generational, right? And it gets handed down. And as we have this awareness in this particular generation we live in around healing and healing for, for women of color, how do we break those patterns and chains? And um, I, I really do feel very strongly that it's through people like you who have actually done this really, really hard work. And I want to jump so, in here. Please. Yeah, I want to go back to what you and really meet you at that place where you admit your own naivete around what you thought you needed from people in order to work with them, right? I want to go work with perfect people who are perpetrating this ideal that I want to be. I want to go and, and, and how they got that way, we don't know. But, right. but let's just assume that, you know, somehow they're brand new and, and and that way of being is the ideal. But what I, I love your innocence in that and thank you for, I think it's so important for us to be willing to expose our naivetes. Yeah. That's, you know, in the light of adult education, some hold 
the perspective that women who look like you and I were never naive. Right. We're never innocent. Right. So you just blew that right out of the water. (laughs) Yeah, I'm definitely naive. I'm still naive in some places. And it's hard because you got to navigate places. and So many places. Oh, my gosh. It's it's amazing how people who don't see us, who whose whose horizon we don't populate on for whatever the reasons, they don't they don't know us, they don't see us. So thank you. I, I want to speak to to something. I love you independently. I am I have such an affinity for it. I always have, and what many. Many things that there are many modalities and uh, learnings and knowings that took me from where I was to where I am. And Carl Jung has this book called The Red Book, and it's about dreams and his interpretations of these dreams. And who is this again, please? Jung, Carl Jung. Oh, Carl Jung. Yes. Yeah. And so one of, the, one of the things that I love about Jung's many, many, many perspectives is the idea of the wounded healer. Mm. And so when you ask me where I am, I am always where my, where my heart is, where my hurt is, where my joy is. I'm always tending to the sight, present. And I am a wounded healer, as I imagine you are. And so as such, what what we get to do is the people I coach, I can't take them where I haven't been. I can't understand because I'm naturally therapeutic. I, I can't I can't take them where I haven't gone. I can't take them to the depths of their loss, to the heights of their joy, to the to the fullest moments in the wits of their spontaneity and know what's possible if I have not experienced that. So I want and I work with people who are aware of their own personal wounds. I'm only, I only work with people as well as I only choose to work with people who will activate my wounds, who will (laughs) get me to touch into what's true about me, to activate so that we can connect in our common humanity. Yes, beautiful Wilma. We all suffer. And the one thing that we are definitely, when people say we're all in this together, well, what, this is what's true. We all suffer. It's, yeah. it's part of what identifies us. It, beyond that, what it really comes down to, the naked truth is we suffer. Did the pandemic not mirror that back to us? Yeah. Corona was a... Equal opportunity still is destroyer, period. We all suffer. We lose. We win. But I'm talking about the darker side. 
the harder side, the deeper, the weightier side of humanity. So I'm all down for the wounded healer. That That's all I know. That's what I identify with. I believe that I have the capacity to travel to that place of one's deepest, darkest heart, heart abandonment, heartbreak, and be with them, cross my legs, and wait for them, sit on the ground, hard and cross my legs, palms open, wait for them to arrive right where I am with them, and be a mirror, extending my humanity to say, I'm here to witness you. Because to know the weight of that in my own way. So I'm not going to shy away. Oftentimes in my work with students, I say to them, it just comes. I don't rehearse it. It's just the right. I'll say, I'll, I'll just cut them off. You know, they may be like, mm. I have something I need to share with you. And they all, you know, they're kind of like maybe a bit activated that I cut them off. And I'll just say, there's no pain big enough, deep enough, dark enough, strong enough, powerful enough that you cannot bring and that I do not feel competent Mm. to hold you. So that's where I am on my journey. It's uh, it's always such a um, a real honor just to speak with you, and I always feel like we we need you and I just need a session. I feel like it's like just I want to go deep with you on so many things, and I know this day will come when we spend that time together, and. I have so many other things that I want to ask you about. Some I can ask here. One of them is around your books. And can you tell us about the first book that you wrote? And then I want to move on to the latest book that you wrote. The first book I wrote is titled Somebody, Someone. It was born out of a dream. I have a lot of dreams that tend to activate deep, deep knowing. I act upon the content of the dreams, put them into motion in waking life. My life changes inevitably. Hmm. And it's a a manifestation of how all my dreams literally and figuratively have come true. But... My first book was born out of a dream where I ran into my biological father. In the dream, I I ran into a man who I was on a BART train in San Francisco. And every stop the BART train made, this man would be in the window on the platform with no face waving at me, trying to get me to pay attention and look at him. And I'm like, no, no, I do not know you, brother. Do it moving. And then 
there came a point where the doors opened on the train and I was going to, and, and oh, like the doors opened on the train and I was going to get off, but my, I kept dreaming. Then the next thing I know, I turn and I look at this brother who's everywhere I go. And then I recognize him. And when I recognize him, I'm, I awaken <gasps> in the middle of my bed, I'm late for work. Something says, be aware of strangers today. I get dressed, I get a taxi, I get down to my salon on Union Square, I go into the building, my assistant said, your entire day has canceled. 16 clients, and I was booked six months in advance. What? What? Right. That he said, your entire day canceled. Didn't you get my message? I'm like, no. Because I was late, and you know, I, I put my dress on inside out. I'm like, okay, great. Something says, go to Barnes and Noble, because I was on Union Square. I go to Barnes and Noble. Get this book called The Child Caught It by Dave Peltzer. I get the book, and I'm reading about how his father did, just stood by while his mother did unconscionable things to him. And something said, you need to tell the truth about what happened to you. And I get the book. I go. I'm sitting on the train. I'm reading it on the train. Pay attention. I, the, the, the train stops, stops. And then the next time the train stops, I'm pretty assertive. So when I want something, get out of the way. And I was just going to get elbow. You better move. And something said, let the lady care. Go, Regina. I mean, really? I'm like, I know. Huh? I let the lady carrying her little baby go. And then I stepped off the train. And this man walks past me and I'm like, oh my God. I was like, hey, oh my God, hi. He's like, turns and looks, he keeps going. And I'm like, hey, wait a minute, hi, how are you? Wait, what? And he turned and looked at me again. He's like, young lady, you speak to me as if I should know you. I'm like, oh my God, you speak to me as if you don't know me. He said, I don't know you. Why should I know you? I'm like, because you're my father. Wow. Ain't God good? Ain't God good? Ain't it good? Still good to see you amongst the living. I was like, oh, hell. Wow. So in that moment, I thought of cutting my own wrist. I thought of pushing him in front of an oncoming bar train. And something said, all those thoughts you've always had, if you ran into him, they mean nothing. Get here. What do you need, Regina? What? And I'm like, well, I look really pretty. I have on an amazing outfit. So had you turned it in, reads, had you like got it from being inside out to the right side out? Right. So, at this point. As, I, as I'm standing there, I'm like, okay, I look good. I feel good. I'm okay. I'm okay. And then there just came this moment when I went up to him and I said, why did you walk away from me? Why did you leave me in that orphanage? Why did you, why? And he said, you know what? I, you're the one who left me. And I was like, oh, okay. So then I realized, uh-uh, Regina, there's nothing for you here. There's nothing for you here, baby girl. And I just said to him, I have something to give you before you die. I forgive you for not being able to be there for yourself, and I revoke your parental rights. You're no longer my earthly keeper. I release you. You're free to go, as am I. And I turned to walk away, and he said, wait, wait, wait. How did you know it was me? And I said, Tom, that's your work to do. And I went, I got on the escalator, and my child who doesn't want to 
accept reality for what it is. That, that part of me said, turn around and see if he's looking at you. Turn around and see if he's seeing you go. And I'm like, we all know he's not looking at me. Turn around. And I turned around. And all I saw was this human being who carrying his backpack with the duct tape. All of the hair down the middle of his head was gone and he had two big tufts of hair. His shoes were reinforced with duct tape. He was holding his backpack to him, shuffling along. And I got to tell you, Wilma, I wanted to hurt myself, but I didn't. I wanted to abandon myself, but I didn't. I wanted to disappear in the face of him disappearing in front of me, but I didn't. I took myself home. I wanted to drink. I wanted to cut. I wanted to shop. I wanted to whatever. And I didn't. I resisted all of the impulses. And I got home. And I already had a relationship with a therapist where I said to her, if I get into situations that become emotionally tumultuous for me, she was like, why don't you call my voicemail, leave a message, and I at least will be hearing you. And if you need me to call you back, let me know. Otherwise, this becomes a place for you to say what you need to say, to be heard. And I was, I get home. I realize I want to call my mama. You don't have a mama, girl. I want to call somebody. You ain't got nobody on that level that can help you with this, girl. What you going to do now? It was almost like something was taunting me, like enough. These people don't want you. They don't know how to have you. They cannot, girl. What are you going to do? Something said, pick up a pencil. I'm like, no, I'm not picking up a pencil. Something said, pick up a pencil. I picked up a pencil. Something said, start writing. I'm like, I'm not going to write. I'm not going to write. And I'd already called my therapist and told her, oh, my God, I ran into my father. I want to talk to my mom, and I don't know what to do. And I hung up. Something said, get the Bay Guardian. Just pick it up. And I picked up the Bay Guardian, and I started writing. Careful not to disturb the raggedy screen door that barely kept the man eating mosquitoes from tearing our asses up. I linked my body into the frame and stared up at the sky. I could tell by the way the clouds moved that God's gonna start crying soon. My southern accent came back. The way in which my first language, my first mother tongue. So this idea of staying with what was happening and expressively writing through the trauma. I, it was one of the most difficult books I've ever written because I didn't know the degree. I didn't understand trauma back then. I didn't understand what it meant to extricate myself from so much loss, so much hardship. And I knew though that I would have to write myself into existence by standing in the presence of the heartbreak of unmitigating shames and losses and unconscionable actions that were acted out on behalf of the adults. So somebody, someone is this idea that 
You know, if we don't know who we are, if we don't know where we come from, if we don't understand the origins of our existence, then you kind of get lost in that place of liminality, mm -hmm. which would be somebody, someone, as opposed to one's own person. Mm -hmm. So the only way to be in the world is vicariously through the association of somebody else. So I recognized that I needed to individuate. Mm -hmm. That was the gateway to me understanding the need to untwine from the disassociation, the trauma, the not having a clear sense of a felt self. So somebody, someone was the gateway that led me to the second book, which I wrote as my graduate thesis, Someone has led this child to believe. So once I was able to individuate from the trauma, from the loss, from the identity of being nobody's anything, right? I then could recognize, ah, oh, someone has led this child to believe that I'm not this, not that, not capable. I'm vindictive. I'm manipulative. I will never, ever, ever. So someone has led this child to believe was more like pushing back against the negative prognosis of someone else's ill-fated narrative. It was wiping the hate, wiping the disenfranchisement, wiping the predilections of nothingness from my consciousness, handing it back to the disbelievers and saying, I believe this belongs to you. Mm. And then mm. permission granted. Permission mm. granted kick-ass strategies to bootstrap your way to self-love, as I said, is, is me stepping in, is growing up, is individuating from the trauma, individuating from being nobody's child which is what my first editor wanted to name my book, Somebody, Someone. She was like, what about nobody's girl? And that crushed me. But if I take that concept to this moment right here, I can recognize how permission granted liberates me from any of those identities, any of those lowest common denominators that people tend to go to when they don't necessarily know how to step into their humanity and meet me and therefore see me in my own. Yeah, I understand that. And I started reading Permission Granted and I haven't finished yet. I'm, the fact that I've actually gotten through at least 25, 30 pages is like a big deal for me because I one of the things when I went through depression 10, 11 years ago was I lost the connection to some passions of mine and uh, some of them came back and some of them didn't and one of them was reading mm -hmm. and it's something I, I i have like five books on my bedside table and with the the full intention of reading them and so i have to work really hard to even get through like a chapter now mm -hmm. so i started yours and I remember I messaged you about one of your terminologies in there. I'm like, okay, that's that's really powerful. And I and I'm not going to say it here, but I think it's worth 
people picking up this book, permission granted, so that you can start to think differently about how you can empower yourself. And I think that this is the gift is of this book, one of the gifts. It is at the top of my bedside table reading. (laughs) I'm all about meeting humans where they are. I have no expectations. Of course, I know. I love that. Again, I love your transparency. Yeah, I'm not trying to blow smoke up anybody's ass. (laughs) You know, you're not being, you're not being pretentious about it in the sense that I mean I know when someone's read the book and when someone hasn't I I've done so many podcasts at this point and I would I it, it, it can be challenging sometimes when people act like they read it right. <laughs> and, no the no, and what I love is our connection is it's, it's very humane mm. and I appreciate how you invited me into talking about my childhood in a way where I didn't feel I was trauma pimping myself mm. or re reopening reopening experiences that are not in my best interest and I'm just grateful that it was done in a way that was slow enough. Because as I heal and get in tandem with my central nervous system, mm. how I am learning to regulate itself soon on deeper, deeper levels. Yeah. I'm learning when sharing my childhood experiences exploited to the selves that worked so diligently and heartfully to get me here. I don't want to trauma pimp them. No. For the sake of selling a book or, no. or you know, making a conversation interesting. So I appreciate you. I just appreciate how this was. Thank you. And it's, you know, part of the reason I even started this podcast and, and, and my journey to even starting a podcast was this struggle that has been going on for a few years where, you know, there was this, oh, a few years ago, everyone's starting podcasts. I should start one. And I just didn't know why I should start one, but I was like, I should, I guess. And I bought all the equipment. I have a big box of podcasting equipment upstairs <laughs> and it sat in a box it still sits in a box because i didn't know i was just like well first of all i don't know what i have to say and well, but you know what but to just slow down yeah that, yeah wow, that right there massive what a massive gateway into curiosity, into your own genius and your relationship with your own ingenuity. Wow. <laughs> like like that right there. It was the journey though, you know, it was this kind of and it was sitting with it and looking at it and constantly going, 
if I should do it, I need to want to do it. And then there was there's, there was this part of me that was like, well, do I even want to commit to doing it? Can I do this consistently? And is this going to be draining? And finally, as we pivoted into, you know, what was the old dark beauty into the new dark beauty healing as this mental health, this well-being, this exploration into how as women of color we can build and create our own healing journeys. Then it took on a different, it took on a different meaning for me. And that was when it kind of switched something in my thinking about this is not draining. This is really exciting because like you said, it's about this curiosity. Mm-hmm. And I realized it's not about me talking about whatever, which by the way, anyone who knows me knows I can talk for days. <laughs> I can talk for both England and America, no problems. People, I, I, people try and shut me up because I start mouthing off about something. But what I found was that I'm really curious about the women that and the people rather, because there are men too, that I'm that I'm interviewing. I'm really curious and I'm really, I really want to dig into the healing in a way that is meaningful, not, and as you rightly said, not trauma pimping, because you know, raising up the things that you have gone through. And just because you've written a book or all of these things doesn't mean that every time you speak about it doesn't bring it up again. And so I completely appreciate and and you know, grateful. I want to say something to that, which I think is a big insight for me. For the past 17 years, I've been writing about you know, I wrote my first book. I wrote the second book as, as I said, my graduate thesis and then the movie. So for 17 years, I was swimming in this idea of somebody, someone, you know. And then, you know, I met the woman who who adopted me later in life and just a lot of complexities and, and very charged emotional experiences and it felt like for the longest time people could only see me through the lens of the one the girl who was adopted by the woman and they they would sort of rain these platitudes on her and all this positive projection of how amazing she was but very rarely did people see the work I had done to 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 save my life Mm. And so I've learned I can't expect from other people what I am not willing to do. So instead of me being fixed on people not seeing me for the journey that I took in order to be here, I've had to turn that around and say, how am I not seeing Mm. me for the journey that it took to get me here. So again, to go back to your question, where are you in your journey? I'm also there. Yeah. Right. And so it's been a marvelous journey to hold 
all of these different aspects of self, aspects of what does it look like to thrive? Now I'm thriving. Mm. Now I'm moving into thriving. I don't want, I want to find the parts of my story that support me in scaling to the next level, the next place. I'm a wounded healer. I yeah. want to work people who are willing to delve in hmm. to the tears, to the cracks, the crevices of where they unwittingly lost pieces of themselves, you know, and they left each hmm. pieces of who they are hanging on the sharp edges of these lived experiences and support them in gathering themselves and bringing that home and being a good enough mother, strong enough within to withstand the heat mm. of, of what's necessary for forgiveness and self-reclamation and letting go of those hackneyed ways of being, those lesser truths and allow spirit to triumph, right? Because that's what yeah. happens. We let go of the lowest common denominators that we hold as true about ourselves and, and go to the higher possibilities. We allow spirit to triumph. Yeah. So. Yeah. I pause because, you know, I cycle back into, you know, the different things. You say so many amazing things that it's like that one right there, that bit right there, this one here. And I feel like as we go forward in our process and our journeys and our healing, that the way that, and, and the reason why I even brought up any of your past to begin with is that many women in this in this space that I'm in right now with dark beauty healing and about how people feel they don't know how to transmute and transcend their trauma. And I feel that listening and hearing other people, not just talk about, because that's almost not, it's not even the details, but just what does that journey look like when you're so, you feel trapped by it, when you, when you don't know where to turn, where you do about it. And you don't know what's going to work for you. And so it's the journey that you took that I feel is so powerful and that you're taking that gives someone else hope that there's a way out of this for me too. Mm. That's a and beautiful. Do you know what I mean? Oh, do I? I mean, I know what you mean in the way that I can, can understand it. And it makes me think about I believe that within all of us is a knowing that knows us beyond the trauma that we might believe defines us. Right. Yeah. 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 And well, knowing, we can call it a knowing, we can call it spirit, we can call it divine presence, we can call it the all-knowing mother, the grandmother, the, you know, Gaia. We call it whatever we want to call it, God. But 
I believe that as an initiate, I see myself on this planet as a spiritual initiate and my journey as the subtitle of my book, The Spouses, is I've had to bootstrap. I've had to be kick-ass in order to get to the boom, if you will, of unconditional self-love. People will say a lot, oh, stop blaming your mother or stop, you know, people say a lot of things, many of which they have no idea about because anybody who has been wounded to the bone, to that place where spirit meets the bone, the spiritual world meets the human plane, will know there's, there's, there's no such thing as getting over it. Right. And when people say that, I invite your listeners for them to be suspect. Because to me, that's shorthand for I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't feel psychologically safe, psychologically capable of witnessing you. Your story is too big. It's making me uncomfortable. I'm allowing it to make me uncomfortable because I'm making it about me. And as such, for me to actually own my own greatness, own my own spiritual prowess in order to make space for you. Hmm. I don't know how to be the benevolent witness that can sit with you in your humanity and make it about you and not take that on. We are in a relationship where the taking on the the transference and the counter-transference and all of that wounded healing type of engagement is consensual. But if it's not that, it's that matter of the boundary. This is where I end and begin. And as such, what is it? What happened to you? And then to just to come naturally therapeutic in that we listen. We watch body movements. We mirror, mirror. Yeah. The experience. So. Yeah. Oof. There's there's definitely a part two here. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Wilma May. This this was a match made. Okay? Right? <laughs> I mean, you're as beautiful as they come, as beautiful as I am. And I just I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you are kind and generous enough to share your platform with the likes of me. Of course. Are you kidding me? Like this is such an honor. (laughs) This that that they my experience there can facilitate experiences such as this. Yeah. And you know, I want to say I would be remiss if I didn't. That dark beauty collaboration we did. 
for the Hoffman yeah. Center. You want to say anything about that? I yeah. I mean, this was first of all just the fact that we could do something like this and offer this to our community. And for those who aren't aware, uh, we teamed up with Hoffman, uh, the Hoffman Institute, which. As I spoke about before, I did uh, the Hoffman process about 11, 12 years ago. It was a game changer for me. And we teamed up to do a weekend, one of the Hoffman Essential virtual weekends a few months ago for the dark beauty healing community, specifically for women of color. And this was facilitated by you, Regina, a Hoffman teacher, and also the other two, Ian, and so it was this weekend, which I, I turned up at the intro for it, and then I left. It wasn't for me to be in that space, because it's a very, what goes on in Hoffman stays in Hoffman, and this was their journey. But I heard from several people that this was really transformational. I heard that there are learnings that I think need to be definitely learnings on how this can be a different type of journey and process for women of color. And there are definitely shortcomings, which by the way, I don't think I acknowledge or noticed when I did Hoffman. Looking back, I'm like, uh, yeah, like, wow, this is like things that I really, you know, because that was the first time I'd done work on myself. You know, I think that there's just some missed opportunities. But here's the thing, whatever happens moving forward, uh, we're in each other's life now. <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> you oh, know, God, God, spirit works in mysterious ways. And, yes, you know. Indeed. Yes, indeed. I'm excited. And I'm, I'm excited. So thank you for facilitating that weekend. It um, is definitely a, a launch pad for other things. And, you know, I feel like there's more healing to be uh, facilitated for our community moving forward. Um, I do feel like, you know, there's a saying in, you know, I my first career in terms of social advocacy and activism was in foster care. And there was this there's, you know, there's the, the, the research says that in relationship to foster care youth, that their counterparts in the mainstream have 15 years on them in terms of advantage, all of it, right? And yeah. I think the same is true for us as African American or African identified or black identify whatever whatever however one chooses to privilege their relationship to their identity women who look like us and so forth i think yeah. that the, the the mainstream has generations of healing you know to their advantage and we are i i'm grateful to covid and to social media to the if only to bring the awareness. It has been yeah. this incredible, incredible highway of, of, of information that can 
go between the cross globes, you know, and demographics and socioeconomics to bring awareness in such a deep way. And I feel that last summer's event jettisoned us into, it shook us away. It, 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 to, to see God rest his soul, to see our own blackness, our own blackness, but the, the shame of the thing, if you will, to witness someone hold the weight of white supremacy in their body and to take the emblem, if you will, of white supremacy and power differentials and all that goes along with that toxic American sensibility and masculine toxicity and drop that weight on one, the neck of a tender who was once somebody's boy. And for all of us to even have the opportunity. It makes me think of beloved when Setha cuts the throat of her own child because she can't watch it How fortuitous, how insightful, how foreshadowing. What are we as, as humans to have the insight and the genius of Toni Morrison? And then here we are, a hundred years past that story into the future, watching that thing she was trying to save her children from in a fictional way that we all know. Right? There's nothing yeah. fictional about it. There's nothing fictional about it. So, yeah. And I think that... that uh, it woke me up to what I want to do. Yeah. For myself and others. Yeah. And, and that is... Um, that's going to take us through. I think that when we start to build out the things that we are discussing, I think it will be really powerful for for women and for women of color. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for today. Thank you for being sharing, for enlightening. I just so it makes me happy. So thank you. And. <laughs> um, right and I will let's find you on social media where are you on social media right social media so what I'd like you all to do is go to my website head to www.iamreginalouise.com subscribe because I have some beautiful offerings that will be coming soon and I want to support people in getting through the holidays in a different kind of way. And so subscribe and then you'll have access to 
to something that I'm dropping in December. And Exciting. I love me some Instagram. So the real Regina Louise, see how my personality changed? The real, <laughs> okay. Okay. It's that. So the real Regina Louise, I'll be popping over there. So join me over there as well. And see pictures of your dog. And see pictures of my Tondi Rose. Yes, she was named after yes. Tondi Newton, baby. And she is <laughs> too beautiful. Yes. Yeah, she's gorgeous. Thank you, my love. Mm, ditto. Until All next right. time. Until right. next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's podcast, The Healing Home. I really hope you enjoyed it. As I said earlier, this is the last podcast in our first series. We have some exciting guests coming up in series two, which should launch in the new year. To tide us over, I will be publishing a mini series in between where I profile a singular guest. Keep an eye out on our socials for the launch date. It'll be so interesting. I'd like to leave you with one last thought. I thought I would reiterate the Anais Nin poem that Regina quoted because it is such a powerful, poem and it also deserves to be shared again. And then the day came when the risk to remain tight in a bud was more painful than the risk it took to blossom. Please subscribe to our podcast and share with your friends. We would love for you to join our community and also share your constructive feedback. You can also find us on Instagram at drkbeautyhealing.com which has changed from the last time, please note, we are no longer This Is DRK Beauty. We are now known as DRK Beauty Healing. Our website is still thisisdrkbeauty.com. We also deliver free therapy to women of color through our nonprofit initiative, Dark Beauty Healing. We have over 120 clinicians in our network who've donated 10 or more hours of pro bono therapy. To explore therapy for yourself, please visit our website and click on the link to our Dark Beauty Healing directory. There you can find your state and explore the directory to connect with participating clinicians. If you feel emotionally or mentally unsafe and in need of urgent assistance, please immediately contact 911 or the National Crisis Hotline by dialing 988 on your phone or calling one 800 273-TALK in the U.S. That's 1-800-273-8255 in the U.S. Heal and be well.